0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Rebecca sending Jacob to Laban, as we pick up in Genesis, chapter 27,
1: verse 33. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. It does sort of throw a different light on the whole thing. You don't picture... Some teenage kid running off from home at this stage. Uh, he was close to 70 years old. Rebecca said, stay there for a few days until your brother's anger has subsided. But Esau did not cool off in a hurry, for word never did come to Jacob from his mother to come home because... As Jacob was gone, his mother died. And so he never saw his mother again, unfortunately. And of course, the sad byproduct of this bit of deception that they had connived together in is that the mother was deprived of ever seeing her son whom she loved, Jacob, again. Uh, She died while Jacob was in Haran. Now, if you remember the story earlier when the servant had gone to Haran to get a bride for Isaac, that Rebekah came out to the well and he said, give me a drink. And she said, sure, and I'll get water for your camels too. And that was the little thing that he had set up that he would know the will of God for, you know, the one who was to be the bride of Isaac. And how did he the servant explained this whole thing when and he gave to her a gold nose ring and a couple of golden bracelets and she ran home and said, Oh, one of Abraham's servants is here and and he's looking uh, you know, for well, they didn't know what his purpose was, but he's just here and he's visiting. He's got a lot of camels and, and he, she showed the gold earrings and the golden uh, nose ring. And Laban, her brother, came running up to meet him. and said, oh, come, stay in our house. Laban, seeing the gold, he was, he was attracted to this and was a very gracious host and all. And Laban was, was active in the negotiations to send Rebecca back. She was... His sister. And so he is the uncle of Jacob. And it's important that you sort of fix that relationship in your mind as we move along now in the story. Laban is the brother of Jacob's mother, the brother of Rebekah. And he will be coming soon into our scene. So Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him, and he charged him, and he said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Now, evidently, they were able to keep some kind of a communication, perhaps by the caravans that would travel. You'd give a letter and it would be carried and and, and they would probably deliver mail back and forth because he knew that Laban had had some daughters at this point. So you go back and take one of Laban's daughters for your wife. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that you may be a multitude of people. And so actually he is continuing now to bless uh, Jacob, even giving further blessing, the blessing of God upon thee, the fruitfulness and becoming a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with them, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. So notice that now Isaac is adding to the previous blessing, adding unto Jacob the blessings that God had given unto Abraham, and unto Jacob and his seed, this land that God had promised unto Abraham. And so there is an extension of the earlier blessing where when Esau said, isn't there anything left? Jacob couldn't think of anything. But now, I mean, Isaac couldn't think of anything, but now when Jacob comes before him, there is the added blessing, the blessing of Abraham to be passed upon to Jacob and his descendants. And Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram unto Laban the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's Mother. And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to take a wife from Padanaram, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you will not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and was gone to Padanaram. and Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan did not please Isaac his father, Then went Esau to Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of uh, Nebajoth, to be his wife. So realizing that his two wives were not pleasing to his parents, he took a third wife, and this one from the descendants of Ishmael, who were, of course, Abraham's descendants through Hagar the handmaid. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took the stones of the place and put them for his pillows, and he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, he saw a ladder set upon the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am Jehovah, God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land where you lie. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and in thy seed, seed singular there, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So, he's had a hard journey, traveling to Bethel some 30 miles or so from the area around Beersheba, a little more than that, 35 miles. Tired, he gets to this rocky wilderness, barren area. He's tired, the sun is going down. He puts some rocks together for a pillow and he goes to sleep And he starts to dream An interesting dream indeed A ladder From earth reaching up into heaven The angels of God are ascending and descending And the Lord is standing above And the Lord talks to him And the Lord promises to give him first of all The area where he's lying Promises to bless him Promises to go with him. Promises to give to the north, east, south, and west the land unto his seed. And so the Lord is actually repeating unto Jacob the promises that he made to Abraham. And then in verse 15, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whether you go. Now, he didn't know where he was going at this point except back to Haran, but he really didn't know where it was or anything else about it. I will bring thee again into this land. I will not leave thee until I have done all that I have spoken to thee about. So, here this dream of Jacob could very well have been prompted by his lying there under this starry sky, looking up into the heavens and thinking, well, God is up there somewhere. As we so often think as we look up into the starlit sky, well, God dwells in heaven. But you know, if you think of God dwelling in heaven, it seems like sometimes God is very far off. There's something about looking up in the desert skies that brings almost a consciousness of not the nearness, but the distance of God as we have come to a knowledge of the vastness of our universe. And somehow through the heavens, there is a consciousness of the unapproachableness of God because He is so vast. His universe is so vast. You see, looking up into the heavens gives to us a true awareness and a consciousness of ourself. I'm so nothing. I'm so small when I think of the universe. Oh, man, what am I when I think and compare myself to the universe? One of the smaller planets around around one of the small stars in a small corner of the vast Milky Way galaxy which has a billion stars in it. But the Milky Way galaxy is just one of the galaxies of the billions of galaxies out there in space. When Job was looking at the heavens, he came to an awareness, not of the nearness of God, but of how far God was and how unapproachable God was, so that when his friend said, hey, if you'll just make peace with God, everything will be okay, buddy. And he says, thanks a lot, but how am I going to make peace with God? He's so vast I look up in the heavens and and he's so great, who am I that I can stand before God and, and, and plead my cause? So though the heavens make us aware of the glory of God and the power of God and the, the greatness of God, somehow the viewing of the heavens makes us feel distant from God as though God is dwelling there in the heavens, and here am I in Significant little me down here on this little planet earth and I'm so insignificant among the, those that dwell upon the planet earth. And thus looking at heaven always makes us feel that need of some help in reaching God. When Job looked at the heavens and realized the vastness of God and saw how nothing he was, he said, I need someone to stand between us who will lay his hand on us both. God's too vast, I can't reach Him. I'm too small, I can't touch Him. I need someone who would go between and lay His hand on God and lay His hand on me. There, the vastness between God and myself is too great. It can't be bridged. And as Jacob was lying there and looking up and thinking about God and thinking about his life, perhaps when in his heart there came that desire to reach God, but how can you reach God? The universe is so vast. And so when he went to sleep, from his subconscious there came forth a concept on how to reach God, a ladder that would reach up into heaven. And so he dreamed of a ladder. And it was reaching up into heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on this ladder. All right, climb a ladder. And the Lord stood above the ladder and began to speak to him. As we turn to the New Testament and we find Philip coming to Nathaniel and saying, Behold, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Well, come and see. And when Nathaniel came to Jesus, Jesus said, Well... It's nice to meet an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Then he said, how did you know me? And he said, well, when you were over under the fig tree and Philip called you, I saw you there. Well, he knew that Jesus was nowhere around. And he said, truly you are the Messiah, the King of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe that just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You stick around. You're going to see a lot more than that. (laughs) For from henceforth, you are going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? I have come to be the ladder whereby man can reach heaven, whereby man can come to God. The ladder of Jacob's dream was none other than Jesus Christ. He is the access whereby man can come to God. And so Jacob saw it. He saw it in a dream. And when he awoke from his dream, verse 16, He said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. (laughs) When I came here last night and was so tired and kicked those rocks together for a pillow and lay down, I didn't know God was here. I felt so far away from God. As I looked up in the sky and I thought, Oh, God, you're so far away, but God isn't far away. He's in this place. Right here in this place of testing, in the place of barrenness. The rocky places of life, God is there. Those hard places of life, God is there. Those uncertain places of life, God is there. When the future seems to be so clouded and you don't know which way to go, God is there. Surely the Lord is in this place. He's not in heaven only. He's in this place. And it is so important for us that we become aware of the presence of God, that we come into this consciousness of the presence of God, that truly the Lord is in this place. I don't care what that place may be. A place of discouragement, a place of defeat, a place of hopelessness, a place of despair. God is there. Learn to recognize the presence of God. It'll change a place of barrenness and defeat into an altar, into a place of worship. As you become aware of the presence of God, it'll dispel the fear and it becomes now a place of confidence rather than uncertainty. Surely the Lord is in this place. Notice he didn't say the Lord was in this place last night. The Lord came down here and was in this place. His consciousness was a, now a prevailing attitude. The Lord is in this place. I don't see the ladder right now. I don't see the Lord standing, but he's here. I know he's here. The Lord is in this place. And again he said, I knew it not. I know it now. The Lord is in this place. I know it now. I knew it not. Last night I didn't know it, but now I do. I knew it not. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for his pillows, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of the place the house of God because it used to be called Luz, that city at the first. So he made the pillar, poured oil on it. The place of barrenness, the place of despair, hopelessness became an altar unto the Lord, the place where he became aware and conscious of the presence of God. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall Jehovah be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, Jacob is not really striking a bargain here with God saying, well, if you'll do all this for me then you'll be my God. I will serve you. If here is not in the indicative, but in the subjunctive case as in the New Testament when the Satan came to Jesus and said, If thou be the Son of God. Satan wasn't questioning the fact that he was the Son of God. But if is in the subjunctive case, which should be translated, Since thou art the Son of God. It isn't indicative. It isn't questioning the deity of Christ in an indicative case. But the declaration, Since thou art the Son of God. And the same is true here. In the case, he is saying, actually, and since God will be with me, believing the promise of God of the night before, I will be with you wherever you go. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you back. And since God is going to do this for me, he will be my God. It is his declaration of commitment of himself and of his life to God. And a promise to give a tenth of whatever God had blessed him with unto the Lord.
0: We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Zechariah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, Simply order Zechariah 2 through 3 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org.
1: in your life, and the changing of your nature May His Spirit work in you Changing you from glory to glory Into His image That God might conform you Into the image of Christ That you might become The person that God wants you to be Not governed by your own will But governed by the Spirit of God And thus may men be drawn unto our Lord And may your life be used as a witness God's glory In Jesus' name
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California
1: Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.